Scripture reading this evening is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 33, echoing the words of the song that we just sang. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Two or three quick matters. Again, I'd like to commend Lynn for speaking on behalf of the shepherds this morning and for the announcement that they made regarding our meeting. I appreciate so much the humility and the transparency and the communication. Most of all, I appreciate what I already knew to be true about our shepherds. They're unusually fine, godly men. And that simply was reinforced by Lynn on behalf of the shepherds today. And thank you very much, Lynn. God bless y'all. Hiram Kemp is coming in September. He's a dandy. He is a fine, wonderful Christian man who will do a great job preaching for us during the meeting. Please get some of the flyers and pass them out to friends and give them a special invitation. I know times are difficult, but I'll guarantee you that everyone who comes will be blessed, and it may be that someone that you invite comes to Christ. It may be that someone you invite gets right with the Lord after not being right with Him for a long time. The Bible will be preached and God will be exalted when Hiram preaches. You'll appreciate that. And so you can invite friends and neighbors without any worry about things. Over the next two and a half months, I am going to be gone a lot. As a matter of fact, I'll be in about seven states preaching at some point in the next two and a half months. That includes another trip to Bear Valley in Colorado in October. Your prayers would be deeply appreciated. God is good and he has blessed us all. We're thankful for that. But I'd especially like your prayers as I'll be gone more often than I am here between now and and the first week of November. Thankfully then, things returned to a better state of normalcy. But every congregation, when things got better, started planning things for fall of the year, it seems. And many are going to try to trudge on. I think we can understand that and appreciate that, and so I'm thankful for the opportunity. Not only will I be preaching the word of God, I'll be representing the church here at Westside. Your prayers would be deeply appreciated, especially if you'd keep in mind Cherie. I'm sure that Ellie will have plenty in store for her while I am away, but please also pray for Cherie. Again, one final matter. 
Next year, I hope to be able to spend more time here in Midland. And there's a number of reasons why. But one of the reasons why I'd like to share with you, and I'd like for you to think about this. I'd like to be able to write a book on the Godhead, the Trinity, Lord willing, next year. I don't know of any subject that has been more neglected and misunderstood among us and certainly in the world. And Lord willing, Lord willing, I'll be able to do this with your prayers, with your encouragement and your support. I'll be clearing my schedule of some things and I'll continue to work at Bear Valley when that time comes and do a few other things. But I'm already making adjustments now. Next year I'll turn 62 and more is uh, in the rearview mirror than is ahead of me. I'm aware of that, but I'd like to do this book on the Godhead. I think that we can't say enough about how great our God is. Amen. All right, Matthew 6.33. In every heart there is a throne. In every heart there is a throne. That throne is occupied by one of two people. The throne is either occupied by the Savior or the throne is occupied by self. It's really that simple. There's a throne in every heart, and that throne is occupied by one of two people, either self or the Savior. If the Savior is on the throne, it is because the person, the individual, is on the cross. And if the Lord remains on the cross, it is because self is still on the throne. The words of the Apostle Paul are fitting, Galatians 6, 14. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. When Christ is on the throne, self, is on the cross. Matthew 6 is really a section on the providence of God, especially verses 19 through 34. It's about the providence of God, and it's the key to godly decision-making. If you really want to look at a chapter in the Bible that's about how to make good decisions... Matthew 6, 19-34 is a passage for you. You see, godly decisions are a matter of what we truly treasure. Matthew 6, 19-21. Matthew 6, 22 and 23. Godly decisions are a matter of vision and our ability to see things as they really are. Matthew 6, 24. Godly decisions are a matter of masters who really is on the throne. And then Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Godly decision making is a matter of concern 
There's a lot of things that concern us. Sometimes our worries become our idols. And the Lord deals with that. Three words for truly making more godly decisions. First things first. First things first. How much better off every child of God would be if we really thought first things first. Now focus, if you will, on Matthew 6.33 with me. Let me break the passage down by way of structure. Matthew 6.33, first of all, contains an obligation. Seek. Seek. The idea of energy and effort being expended is really there. But keep looking at Matthew 6.33. Having mentioned this obligation to seek, it establishes an order. Seek first. The order is crucial. The energy and the effort that are expended are necessary. But then notice what he does. He designates an object. The Lord designates an object. What is to be sought first from the lips of the Lord himself? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. He designates the object to be sought. The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then finally, a promise is made. All these things shall be added to you. So by seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness you and I can have great confidence that God will provide everything that we really need in life and provide eternal life most of all. You see that? First things first. How do you practice that? This is a brief sermon But it has a lot behind it to think about and practice. How do we practice first things first on a regular, consistent basis? Let me offer five suggestions. Here's the first one. Give God the first Part of every day. For years, my wife has gotten up very early to have coffee with God. And she writes in a notebook the fruit of her time with God. One day, I hope that her grandkids or great-grandkids, Lord willing, will see what Mimi has written over the years. Give God the first part of every day. 
For those of you that know me very well, it doesn't take me very long in the morning to start looking for Diet Coke. Diet Coke is to me what coffee is to many of you in the morning. But before I even get out of bed, a word that's come to mean a lot to me as I've gotten a little bit older, pace, P-A-C-E. I want to give God the first part of every morning. That sets the pace. And even before I get out of bed, P and pace can stand for praise. I praise you for who you are and for the night's rest. God is worthy of praise. First things first. At the beginning of our morning. The psalmist talked about this very thing in Psalm chapter 5. Especially verses 3 and 4. Continuing A could stand for abide. This day I want to abide in you. Because you have been so good to me. John 15 and verse 8. C would stand for control. There is nothing that can happen this day that is beyond your control, even though a lot of it is beyond mine. Establish the pace early in the morning. And E in pace means encourage. Help me to be an encouragement transfusion for someone who might be discouraged. Help me to encourage others. Our lives would be blessed if we began every morning with a better sense of pace. Not just the first part of every morning... But here's the second suggestion for first things first. Give God the first day of every week. Even when we did not meet here at this building, West Side, there is not a person alive that can keep me from worshiping my God. Nor would godly men like our shepherds ever want to discourage Give the Lord the first day of every week. It's the Lord's day. Revelation 1.10. A day in which the Lord's Supper is observed. 1 Corinthians 11.23-28. The Lord's Supper on the Lord's day. Observed by the Lord's people till He comes. Give Him the first day of the week. You know one of the things that really struck me. When we were doing a number of my family members and I a service for people that were homebound and may have had pre-existing conditions, we've had people from New Zealand and Ukraine and a sister who has faithfully worshipped with us who lives in Baltimore, Maryland now but who was converted by some work that Terry Pafford and others did many years ago in a former Eastern Bloc communist country. She is a Christian now 
and she works as a nurse. And she wrote Sharia a note on Facebook recently saying how thankful she was to be able to worship on the Lord's day and to be able to worship with something that we were doing at Westside. Give God the first part of every day and give God the first day of every week to assemble, Hebrews 10.25, and to worship and declare His praise. Third, consider this suggestion. Give God the first fruits of your income. Proverbs 3 and verse 9 establishes this from the Old Testament. And to give as we have been prospered, establish it, establish it I believe, in principle too. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Give God the first fruits of your income. You know, now with things being the way they were and concerns about jobs and all of that, the Lord's work still goes on. And the Lord's work still goes on by men like Rod Kyle and so many others that we have supported through the years. This could well be one of the best times to invest in eternal things because Lord knows you're not getting much for your investment in the material realm. It makes sense to think more in terms of supporting the work of God. Having just gotten back from Bear Valley just two or three weeks back and seeing young men that want to go to Ukraine, that want to go to China, that want to serve as preachers and teachers and young ladies that want to make a difference in people's lives and seeing that, I'm thinking this is an investment that we are able to make as a church and I'm so glad. Give God the first of your income. Fourth, give God the first consideration in every decision. Listen to what I just said. Give God the first consideration in every decision. Will this please my Lord? Will He be honored? Will this further his cause? Will this exalt his name? When people first give themselves to the Lord, 2 Corinthians 8, 5, it is just their nature to consult God first about every matter. I wonder sometimes if we as Christians... Don't get in a habit of just evaluating everything ourselves. One of the things I've discovered in ministry is you cannot put all of the blessings out on a spreadsheet. You cannot show by way of a spreadsheet the tremendous good that can be done when one considers God's will first. 
but it, it's true. Because of God's providence. Finally, this suggestion, give God the first of your love. Give God the first of your love. There was a really good congregation in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, the church at Ephesus, Revelation 2, 1 through 7. And of that congregation, the Lord said, you have left your first love. Well, as good a church as they were, they had a love problem. They didn't have first things first. And if that could happen to a church as good as, as Ephesus, it could happen to a Christian like you or me. I wish I'd have done this with my wife, but I didn't. If I'd have been more thoughtful and had first things first, I might have. Years ago, when I asked Cherie to marry me, that's what I asked. Will you marry me? But after years together, and hopefully growing a little bit, and maybe even being a little bit wiser, as marvelous a question as, will you marry me, is, I think if I were to do it all again, here's what I would ask. Honey, would you be willing to be second in my heart? Because she should know who has to be number one. And wouldn't it be great if people had priorities more like that? You'll be the second in my life. But I'll promise you that no one will come beyond you except Jesus. What comes beyond Jesus in your heart? What's the biggest threat to Jesus in your heart? Jesus was not pulling punches in Matthew 6.33. He was dealing with first things first. And oh, how practical the lesson is. We're about to stand and sing our song of encouragement. It may be that there's a person here that needs to get their life right with God first things first. Perhaps this involves faith, repentance, and, and baptism on one's part. Perhaps it involves a Christian coming back to the Lord and saying, I've gotten my priorities out of, of order. I want to put first things first. And maybe it simply involves an individual recommitment and rededication of you in your heart and your life to God. Whatever you need, we stand ready to help you. Most important, God is ready. Won't you come while we stand and sing?